Our second message this afternoon is from Mr. Stephen Andrews. It is entitled, Pride and Stoutness of Heart. Steve. There was a nation that we're all familiar with that had it all. They had a, essentially a hedge about them. They had protection. They had the perfect religion. They were blessed in every way. And by the time that they had their third king, they were at great rest and peace with all the nations around them. And so not only were they blessed in, it, in that way, they were also blessed in prosperity. And they built a beautiful nation. And they grew and they prospered until something happened to that nation. You see, that nation was Israel and sin began to enter into that nation and it began to crumble right after that sin, which was brought in by the leader of that nation who we know is Solomon. And that nation has a, an interesting history of different things, that have, different kings, but it also has a history that we can learn from. And I asked myself a question as I was preparing this message today, and that's the reason why I started out this way. What happens when a nation ignores the warnings of impending signs of national calamity? What happens to a nation when they ignore the fact that they are immoral, they are sinning, they have problems that they're not solving. What happens when they become proud and arrogant to the point where they won't listen and they won't obey and they won't take in any kind of wisdom? They become proud and arrogant and sin comes in and they refuse to repent so that they can replace that with humility, wisdom, and righteousness. You know, my message today is, is not to sift out the exact time frame in history. What I want to bring out today is to enlighten us as to God's attitude towards a nation that He personally set aside blessed and saw them crumble because of idolatry, sinfulness, and all of the things that came upon the nation of Israel. And at the same time, I want us to think about the nation that we live in and see if there isn't some similarities in the things that are going on in our nation today that happened to that great nation because well, God has blessed this nation 
with a <laughs> wonderful things. We live in a beautiful country, and yet we are having the same situation come upon us. In Isaiah, the ninth chapter, three verses, I want to read. The Lord sent, and I would like to just, uh, I've been reading out of this particular Bible for a while, and uh, Brian actually asked me, well, is this the King James? I had to say, yes, it's the King James, but it's what they call the easy read King James. Uh, and I've, I've selected this because it actually separates the names of these people so that I can actually pronounce them right. <laughs> I have a terrible time. But it's, got a, it's a little easier to read, but, and some of the words are a little different. But for the most part, it is the King James, and it, it, it follows along fairly well. So for those who see that it's uh, a little different than what we have written up on the, on the board there, that's the reason why. In verse 8, the Lord sent a word unto Jacob, and it lighted upon Israel. And it's interesting, that lighted means it fell upon them. And it's interesting to think that God sends a word, and it just, and like it says in the Bible, it doesn't come back without some um, action. So this fell upon them. And all the people shall know, even Ephraim and the inhabitants of Samaria, that say, in the proud, in the pride and stoutness of heart. In the pride and stoutness of heart. You go and look at that word stoutness. It actually really boils down to arrogance. Puffed up, arrogant people. And they were so arrogant that they decided that they would say this in verse 10. The bricks are falling down, but we will build with hewn stones. The sycamores are cut down, but we will change them into cedars. Now that seems like an innocuous, just a kind of a, you know, that verse doesn't seem like there's very much there until you really look at what that verse is saying. Those arrogant, prideful people were saying that our buildings are built with this particular clay and straw stones, and they're good, you know, and we're comfortable, but if they're knocked down, we're going to hew out blocks of stone and we're going to make it stronger and better. They also said, if the sycamores are cut down, which were a part of Israel, we'll come in there and we'll put cedars in there. Well, the cedars were used for all the fancy temples and, and various places. So they were saying, I don't care what God says. We're going to rebuild no matter what. We're going to rebuild no matter what. And so we're going to see today how God looks at that kind of an attitude, what he thinks about that kind of an attitude. A little study in pride first before we go into that. So let's turn to Proverbs, the eighth chapter, as Proverbs very eloquently talks about pride and prideful people and what happens to them. 
In Proverbs, the 8th chapter, and verse, just verse 13, is, we'll just do a few, few verses here in Proverbs as we look at pride and arrogancy. Pride and arrogancy. Verse 13. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogancy and the evil way and the forward mouth do I hate. Proverbs 6. Go back a couple of, um, chapters here. Proverbs 6, beginning of verse 12. A naughty person, a wicked man, walks with a forward mouth. In other words, a corrupt mouth. He winks with his eyes. He speaks with his feet. He teaches with his fingers. Forwardness is in his heart. He devises mischief continually. He sows discord. Therefore shall his calamity come suddenly. Suddenly shall he be broken without remedy. These six things does the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination to him. And the very first one is a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked imaginations, and feet that are swift in running to mischief. In Proverbs, the 13th chapter, Proverbs 13 in just one verse, verse 10, only by pride comes contention, but the, with the well, uh, but with the, the well-advised is wisdom. Isn't that interesting? Only by pride comes contention. This person is so proudful that he's willing to contend with people over his, his beliefs. Proverbs, the 16th chapter, and verse 18. Pride goes before destruction. Pride goes before destruction. And a haughty spirit before a fall. So that pride, that arrogancy, that haughty spirit, they're all part that builds up and is a part of a prideful person. Proverbs, the 29th chapter. Proverbs 29, verse 22. An angry man stirs up strife and a furious man abounds in transgression. A man's pride shall bring him low. A man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. Isaiah, the 13th chapter. Isaiah, the 13th chapter. And beginning in um, verse 11. And I will punish the world for their evil, and the wickedness, and the wicked for their iniquity. And I will cause the arrogancy of the proud to cease, and I will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. I will make a man more precious than fine gold, even a man than gold, uh, than the golden wedge of Ophar. Let's see how far I wanted to read in, in verse 13. Therefore I will shake the heavens, and the earth shall, shall remove out of her place, in the wrath of the Lord of hosts, and in, in, and in the day of his fierce anger. It started out. I will punish the world for their evil and wickedness, for their iniquity. I will cause the arrogance of the proud to cease. You realize that is why the attitude that God has towards the proud and arrogant that rule nations or individuals, 
it makes no difference. It makes no difference. Let's go to um, now to, to the uh, New Testament, 1 John. We're very familiar with these scriptures here in 1 John and, and 2 Timothy. But they fit with what we're talking about here today. 1 John 2 and verse 16. For all that is in the world, consider this, all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but, of, but is of this world. All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not pleasing, is it, to the Father, but is of this world. And of course, we're very familiar with 2 Timothy and all of this. Verse 3, top, uh, 2 Timothy 3, beginning in verse we understand the times that we live in. And it says here, This know also in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. I mean, as we read these words, we see that in this nation that we live in today. It is so obvious. Covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural af affection, truce-breakers, false accusers, incontinent, um, and that means without self-control, fierce, despisers of those that are good. I think that's going to get to be a very big problem for all Christians. It seems like there's becoming more and more an attitude of, of despising those that are good, those that, that, that want to do good, that want to live good lives. Traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but God, denying the power thereof. He says, from such, turn away. From such, turn away. So we see from God's Word that God hates the proud and arrogant attitude of people, individuals, but he also hates the proud and arrogant attitude of nations. I have two examples today that the, you know, we're going to read about. One of them begins in, in Jeremiah 21. In Jeremiah, it's the end of the rulership of the Jewish king. And he goes out and he asks if God will take care of him. And God has a response. So let's read about this in chapter 21. Because this does show an arrogance, a pridefulness, Maybe also a little bit of trying to save their country, but it's too late. The word which came to Jeremiah in, verse, in chapter 21 and verse, uh, verse 1, the word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord when the king Zedekiah sent to him Pasher, the son of Melchiah, and Zephaniah, the son of Maaseah, the priest, saying, I inquire, I pray you of the Lord, 
before us for Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, makes war against us. If so be that the Lord will deal with us according to all his wondrous works, that we may go up from us. And then said Jeremiah to them, Thus shall you say to, to Zedekiah, Thus says the Lord God of Israel. And these are his words. These are God's words to Zedekiah. Behold, I will turn back the weapons of war that are in your hands, wherewith you fight against the king of Babylon and against the Chaldeans, which besiege you outside the walls, and I will assemble them into the midst of the city. He's already told them that they should, be, that they should surrender, and they are trying to hold on. But God has already, because of their sin, because of what they have done, he has already made this decision, and he is not turning back. You know, there is a time when God will repent of that. You know, we know of that from, from Nineveh. When he will repent, because they all got, they all went and prayed and, and fasted. But there's also a time when the haughtiness, the pride, and the arrogancy, and God decides, that's it. I'm not going to put up with it anymore. And this is the situation that they found themselves in. He says, And I myself will fight against you with an outstretched hand and with a strong arm, even in anger and in fury and in great wrath. And I will smite the inhabitants of this city, both man and beast, and they shall die in great pestilence. And afterwards, says the Lord, I will deliver Zedekiah, king of Judah, and his servants and the people and such as left in the city from the pestilence and from the sword and from the famine into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and into the hand of their enemies, and into the hand of those that seek their life. And he shall smite them with the edge of the sword, and he will not spare them, neither have pity nor have mercy. It's sad to say that when they come to this particular point that a nation has no hope whatsoever. And to this people you shall say, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I set before you the way of life and the way of death. He that abides in this city shall die by the sword and by the famine and by the pestilence. But he that goes out and falls to the Chaldeans that besiege you, he shall live. And his life shall be to him for a prey. For I have set my face against this city for evil and not for good, says the Lord. It shall be given into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall burn it with fire. And touching the house of the king of Judah, say, Hear you the word of the Lord, O house of David. Thus says the Lord, Execute judgment in the morning, and deliver him that is spoiled out of the hand of the oppressor, lest my fury go out like a fire and burn, that none can quench it because of the evil of your doings. Time after time after time, prophets had come to this nation and had warned this nation of the impending fury and wrath of God that was going to come down on it. They could have changed. They could have repented. And I think about the nation that we live in today. Now, even though we, maybe there's, there's all kinds of prophets that come about. In the, in the situation where we're at right now with the financial crisis that we were in, there are many men 
who have warned this nation about coming up to this particular situation financially and not understanding that if you do, you're going to put this nation in great crisis. So that's, in a way, that's prophecy. They're, they understand the situation that's going on, so they're telling the leaders of this country that if you come to this point, you're going to, to fall off a cliff financially. And it's going to be a problem for the nation. There's been others who've warned the nation about their spiritual sins. Many preachers, not only Church of God, but others, tried to warn this nation about going into to the, the type of immorality that they have been following. But they're not listening. They're not listening. Just as the nation of Israel and the nation of, of Judah did not listen. So let's pick it back up here. Verse 13, Behold, I am against you, O inhabitant of the valley and rock of the plain, says the Lord, which say, Who shall come down against us, or who shall enter into our habitations? But I will punish you according to the fruit of your doing, says the Lord, and I will kindle a fire in the forest thereof, and it shall devour all things around about it. And so, you can go on and you can read more of, the, of what happened as they went into captivity. And, um, you know, it was many, many years before they were able to return back to Jerusalem. But they never learned, did they? They never learned their lesson. And even time after time, Israel has had many difficulties and gone through many, many trials and tribulations. Let's go now, God's judgment at the pride and arrogance of the world. Let's go to Isaiah, the second chapter now. Because at the end time, God will, will also have to, to do the same thing to the, all the nations and all the world because of the sins of the whole world. We know here in the first four verses of the setting up of the kingdom of God and how he will judge the nations. But we always, you know, sometimes miss this, um, the, the, the other verses here, the beginning verse 6. He says, Therefore you have forsaken your people, the house of Jacob, because they be replenished from the east and are soothsayers like the Philistines, and this is, of course, uh, Isaiah, the second chapter, beginning in verse 6. And the children of strangers, their land is also full of silver and gold, neither is there any end of their treasures. Now, this land is a rich land, isn't it? Filled with many riches. We may have sold all our gold off, but we still are rich and wealthy land. And yet we own... I mean, it's, we owe so much because we borrowed. The day is going to come when this will not do us any good. The land is full of silver and gold. Neither is there any end to their treasures. The land is also full of horses. Neither is there any end to their chariots. Horses and chariots were armies. 
And we have a tremendous army, powerful army. Their land is also full of idols. They worship the work of their own hands. Hollywood. <laughs> Our cars. Everything that we have, we worship to some degree. Our sports figures. You can draw the analogy between the ancient Israelites and today's modern Israel. Today's modern world that we live in. They worship the work of their own hands, to which their own fingers have made. And the mean man bows down, and the great man humbles himself. Therefore, forgive them not. He says, enter into the rock and hide you in the dust for fear of the Lord and for the glory of his majesty. There's going to come a time when God will reveal himself, and it will petrify and make people tremendously afraid. The lofty looks, the prideful lofty looks of man shall be humbled, and the haughtiness of men shall be bowed down, and the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. The Lord alone shall be exalted. For the day of the Lord of hosts shall be upon everyone that is proud and lofty, and upon everyone that is lifted up, and he shall be brought low. And upon all the cedars of Lebanon that are high and lifted up, and upon all the oaks of Bashan. No matter what we decide to do in our prideful, arrogant situation, God is more powerful than all the nations. And when it comes time for his wrath to be poured out, he will not spare. And upon all the high mountains, and upon all the hills that are lifted up, and upon every tower, and upon every fenced wall, and upon all the ships of Tarshish, and upon all the pleasant pictures, and the loftiness of man shall be bowed down, and the haughtiness of men shall be made low, and the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. I think the point is that God wants his children to look to him, but we always look to ourselves. And we're all proud, and we're all arrogant, and we all ignore the one that created us. And he says, the idols he shall utterly abolish. They shall go into the holes and the rocks and the caves of the earth for fear of the Lord and for the glory of his majesty. When he arises to shake terribly the earth, in that day a man shall cast his idols of silver and his idols of gold, which they made each one for himself to worship to the moles and to the bats. One of these days even the gold and silver will become worthless because the earth will be so in, in turmoil. To go into the cliffs of the rocks, to the tops of the ragged rocks, for fear of the Lord, for the glory of His majesty, when He arises to shake, ter shake terribly the earth, cease you from man whose breath is in his nostrils, for wherein is he to be accounted of? Well, in a society that preaches that there is no God and worships the godless science of evolution and the go and truly godless uh, thinking of atheism, there is no place for a God, is there? And yet God says one day they will be so afraid they will race to the rocks, into the caves because of the fear of the Lord.
And isn't that funny? It says our breath is in our nostrils. It doesn't take very much for us to die. It doesn't take very much for us to die. Now let's turn back to Isaiah, the ninth chapter, and let's pick it up right where we left off. The haughtiness of Israel, or Judah. And let's see what God has to say in His Word about what's coming, or what was to come, upon these people. He said, Therefore the Lord shall set up the adversaries of reason, verse 11 of Isaiah the ninth chapter. Remember, we read the we read the reply. God's word fell upon them. They knew what he said, and they, they, they turned around and they said, Nope. If it all goes down, we'll build it back. If you tear down all the trees, we'll put a different tree in. We don't care what God says. It's what, the, what it all amounts to. So here's what God says. Therefore the Lord set up the adversaries of reason against him and join his enemies together, the Syrians before and the Philistines behind, and they shall devour Israel with open mouth, for all his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. For the people turn not to him that smite them, neither do they seek the Lord of hosts. Therefore the Lord will cut off from Israel head and tail, branch and rust in one day. The ancient and the honorable, he is the head. And the prophet that teaches lies, he is the tail. So those are the ones that will be cut off. For the leaders of this people cause them to err. And they are led of them, they are led of them are destroyed. That's, you know, our leadership should be pointing us to God. Should be understanding this, this book. But they refuse. God someday will judge based on His Word and the truth that is in this book. We know what it says in Deuteronomy, the 28th chapter, about the blessings and cursings. Therefore the Lord, verse 17, shall have no joy in their young men, neither shall He have mercy on their fatherless and widows, for everyone is a hypocrite and an evildoer, and every mouth speaks folly. For all his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. For wickedness burns as a fire. It shall devour the briars and thorns, shall kindle in the thickets of the forest, and they shall mount up like a, a lifting up of smoke. Through the wrath of the, Lord's of the Lord of hosts is the land darkened, and the people shall be as fuel of the fire. No man shall spare his brother, and he shall snatch on the right hand, and be hungry, and he shall eat on the left, and they shall not be satisfied. They shall every man eat the flesh of his own arm. Manasseh, Ephraim, Ephraim, Manasseh, and they together shall be against Judah. For all this his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. In chapter 10, just a few verses here. Woe to them that decree unrighteous decrees and the right grievousness which they have prescribed. Does turn aside the needy from judgment and take away the right from the poor of my people that widows may be their prey 
and that they may rob the fatherless. And what will you do in the day of visitation and in the desolation which shall come from afar? To whom will you flee for help? And where will you leave your glory? Without me, they shall bow, they shall bow down under the prisoners, and they shall fall under the slain. For all his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. O Assyrian, the rod of my anger and the staff of my hand is my, judge, is my indignation. I will send him against a hypocrit hypocritical nation, and against the people of my wrath will I give him a, a charge to take the spoil, take the prey, and to tread them down like the mire of the streets. However, he means not. So, neither does his heart think so, but it is his heart to destroy and to cut off nations, not a few. For he says, Are not my princes altogether kings? Is not Calno or uh, Carchemish? Is not Hamath or Arphad or, or Samaria and Damascus? As my hand has found the kingdoms of the idols, and whose graven image did excel them, of Jerusalem and of Samaria, shall I not, as I have done in Samaria, and her idols, so do I in Jerusalem and her idols. A judgment from God, when He makes that judgment, that final judgment, cannot be, return, cannot be returned. Just like Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham understood when he came to the last group, if there were that many righteous in the city, and he said, that's fine if there's that many, but there weren't. And it was taken and destroyed, both Sodom and Gomorrah. The time will come when those things will be fulfilled. But we also know there's going to be a great time in the future. The kingdom of God will be set up on this earth. And there will be greatness and wonderfulness. And all of the things that we have seen and the heartaches that we've experienced in our lives and maybe even the, the uh, heartache overseeing our wonderful nation do things that we, we know are not good for it. We know is not good for, the, for, for each and every individual. But the day is coming and we can all take heart that the kingdom of God will come to this earth. In chapter 11 we have some of the most beautiful words, some of the most inspiring words about that day when Christ will return to this earth and he will set up the kingdom. And I want to read those because I don't want to leave this with that particular type of um, you know, sorrowful thing that I just got through reading because it's hard. It's hard to, we know what God says and we see this nation going in the wrong way. We see it just like Israel, just like Judah. And God warned, and there was a lot of warning. Time after time after time, there was tremendous warnings going out. And I think today there was warnings. Maybe not always from those of us who understand the truth, but there are warnings that this nation is going in a direction that is not good for it. And the world will suffer because of all the sin that has come upon it. But someday, when Christ returns to take these nations over, there will be a glorious kingdom set up. In, in Isaiah the 11th chapter, 
we talk about, he talks about this wonderful branch. There shall come forth out of the rod of the stem of Jesse, a branch shall grow out of his roots. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Well, that's the right kind of spirit, isn't it? That's what Christ had when he walked this earth, and that's what he has today. And he shall make him a quick understanding in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. But, righteousness, but with righteousness shall he judge the poor and rep reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with a rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. That day is coming. And the righteousness shall be girdle of his loins, and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. Jesus Christ, King of kings, Lord of lords. And that time will come when the wolf, when the wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall die, lie down with the kid. The calf and the young lion and the fatling together. The little child shall lead them. A time of great peace upon this earth. All nations. We will be there to help bring about this peace, brethren. The cow and the bear shall feed their young ones, shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The suckling child shall play on the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put his hand to the cockatrice den. God says they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. His holy kingdom shall be a kingdom of peace. And they shall see righteousness, goodness, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And that day there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign of the people. To it shall the Gentiles seek. All the nations are going to come. They want to know about this, this being, this peaceful being, who has brought peace to this earth. And those sons of God who are bringing that peace to this earth. It shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people, which should be left from Assyria, from Egypt, and from Pathros, or Pathos, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from all the islands of the sea. God wants his people in, over there so that he can, they, they will be with him. He shall set up an ensign for the nations and shall assemble the outcasts of Israel, gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. The envy also of Ephraim shall depart, and the adversaries of Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not envy Judah, and Judah shall not vex Ephraim. But they shall fly upon the shoulders of Philistines toward the west, and they shall spoil them from the east together. They shall lay their hand upon Edom and Moab and the children of Ammon, shall obey them. And the Lord shall utterly destroy the tongue of the Egyptian sea. With his mighty wind shall he shake his hand over the river and shall smite it in seven streams and make men to go over dry shod. It's so important for God that his nation be established that he's going to bring these people if they have to walk through oceans that are dried up so that they will come and be in his presence. He loves his people, brethren. He hates to see the sins and the hatefulness and the things that are transpiring on this earth. 
He sends lots of warnings. The people would hear and understand, but they refuse. They don't turn back to God. Someday, though, they will. It shall be a highway for the remnant of his people, which shall be left from Assyria, like as it was to Israel in the day that he came out from the land of Egypt. God will lead his people from all parts of the world to come before him to, to his prom that promised land, that glorious place where you and I will be when he sets that kingdom up. There's a beautiful few verses right here in chapter 12. And I want to finish up with just these six verses, beginning in verse 1. And in that day you shall say, O Lord, I will praise you, though you were angry with me, your anger is turned away and, and you comforted me. Well, there is a time when the wrath of God is going to be poured out on this earth. But that, that anger will be turned because he realizes that we're just grass and that we would all be destroyed if he kept that anger up and there would be nothing left. But he loves his people and that's the reason why these words are so beautiful. Behold, God is my salvation, and I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also is become my salvation. Therefore, with joy shall you draw water out of the wells of salvation. And in that day shall you say, Praise the Lord. Call upon his name. Declare his doings among the people. Make mention that his name is exalted. Remember, the prideful people will be put down, the arrogant people will be put down, and God will be exalted in that day. Sing to the Lord, for He has done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. Cry out and shout, you inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in the midst of you.